So if you will, turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 20, and we will continue this morning our series, The Mysteries of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but I think a good thing to do before we uh, begin our message time is to take a moment and have a special prayer uh, for Dr. Reed. Uh, many of you may know that uh, Dr. Reed, our uh, previous pastor, uh, suffered a heart attack this past week, and he is uh, doing well. Uh, his wife got him to the hospital quickly, and my understanding is that that may very well have saved his life. Uh, he is uh, not preaching this morning. He, in recent months, has been doing and uh, leading a church on an interim basis, a church that is between pastors, uh, but he has taken this Sunday off as he continues to recover. And I just wanted us, I felt like it would be uh, the most appropriate thing for us to do to stop and pray uh, for his health and also for his wife as they uh, continue this journey and continue serving the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful uh, that Dr. Reed is doing as well as he is. Uh, we're thankful that the treatment was successful. Uh, we're thankful that he was able to get to the hospital so quickly. Uh, we're thankful for all the medical professionals and all of the procedures and the medications that are available. Uh, it, is, uh, it is amazing uh, what uh, health can be restored through those means. But Father, we know that ultimately you are the great physician and you are the one who holds our lives in your hands. And we're thankful uh, that you have sustained his life, that he can continue to serve you and to influence people as he has done for decades. And Father, I pray that his uh, strength uh, will grow uh, and that he will be back on his feet uh, serving you as he chooses uh, very, very soon. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we open our Bibles and we begin to read or we begin to teach the Bible, uh, sometimes uh, we find encouragement. Sometimes we find strength. Sometimes what we read in the Bible just gives us a greater sense of peace and we're, we're thankful for those passages. But sometimes we come to places in the Bible where there, it's not so much encouragement and peace as it is warning and danger. And this morning, we come to one of those passages that's all about warning and danger. Now, we don't enjoy those passages as much, but if we're going to be faithful to teach the whole counsel of God's word, when we come to passages like this, we have to teach them, we have to study them uh, with the same level of passion as we would some passage that might seem immediately more encouraging or beneficial to us. Uh, these kinds of passages that we come to this morning are really essential to us. They are gifts from the Lord to help us to live lives where we can better enjoy uh, the, the love and the, and the peace that God desires to give to us. Uh, you think about traveling down the interstate, uh, there are uh, these concrete barriers now uh, that they erect between the lanes of opposing traffic. You know what I'm talking about? I suppose they're about this tall. Some of them are a little taller. Uh, they're not very forgiving. There's no grace there. They will not move out of your way if you veer over a little too close to those things. Uh, they're ugly. I mean, there's never been a concrete barrier that was attractive. Uh, nobody likes to look at them, but they are a gift, right? 
Because even if you find yourself running into the concrete barrier and suffering the consequences, and there would be great consequences for running into the barrier, I guarantee you those consequences are less than what they would have been had you gone into the opposing lane of traffic at 75 miles an hour, right? Those concrete barriers are a blessing. And today we're going to preach a concrete barrier. So all the way through this sermon, just remind yourself, this is a blessing. This is a blessing. It may look like a concrete barrier, but it is a blessing. And so we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It's the seventh commandment. And the scripture says, do not commit adultery. Uh, now you knew that. That's uh, one of those commandments of the 10 that people can uh, remember most easily, we are not to commit adultery. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, technically, the word simply refers to a married person having intimacy with someone that he or she is not married to. That's the technical definition of adultery, and that would be included right here in this command. But if you look at how uh, God speaks about all kinds of sexual sins, not just in the Ten Commandments, but in chapter 21 and chapter 22 and chapter 23 of Exodus. When you look at the whole law, you see that when God prohibits adultery, he's not just prohibiting one narrowly defined act. He is prohibiting any kind of sexual intimacy that is outside of marriage. And so that's really the, the larger umbrella that we see here. And then if we go to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, and we will do that before the sermon concludes, we'll see that Jesus, he understands adultery in that broader sense. And then he broadens it even further because he says, even if you commit the sin in your mind, you are guilty of adultery. And so that's, that's what we're talking about here. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not be engaged in any kind of sexual sin. Now, you knew that. You didn't have to come to church this morning to hear that. I think perhaps the most important question in order for us to fully appreciate and embrace the command that we're very familiar with, what we, what we really need to do is ask, why is that command there? Why is it so important to God that he would include it in the Ten Commandments? Why is it so important that Jesus would say that even if you imagined it, even if you just thought about it, you would be guilty of a great crime? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, we live in a modern society, a modern culture. It seems like things ought to be different today, right? And as long as it's two consenting, responsible adults, why is it such a big deal? Well, let's answer that question. Because I think when we know that, we can better embrace the commandment, the, the prohibition that God has given to us. The first reason it is an important commandment is this. Adultery is first a sin against the Lord. Adultery is a sin against the Lord. Now, when we think about adultery, we usually think in the context of hurt between two people in a relationship. We talk about broken hearts. When people want counseling, uh, marriage counseling that touches on adultery, what they want to talk about is this person broke a promise to me or I broke a promise to that person or my feelings are hurt and I have been betrayed. We think of adultery as something that happens between two people. 
But when you look in scripture, you see that while that is true, it is a, a sin between two people, a broken promise. It is much, much more than that. It is first a sin against the Lord. That's the most serious thing. That's, that's really what we need to address. And that is why it makes the list of these 10 commandments that we revere so much. You can see this throughout the scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, if we were to turn a little uh, earlier in the Bible to the book of Genesis, we read the story of a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph uh, found himself, he was a follower of the Lord, a believer in the Lord. He found himself in a compromising situation. Uh, there, was, um, uh, there was a woman and she had uh, desired to have some relationship with him. He knew that it was wrong. He was trying to uh, escape the situation. And here's what he says. Just, just listen to this. Genesis 39, 9. He says, he, was, he has held nothing from me except you. So he's talking to the woman. He says, uh, my, my boss, your husband, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how, notice what it says, could I sin against God? You see, Joseph understood that this wasn't first a sin between two people. It is that. But this is first a sin against the Lord. That's why it's such a big deal. Now, I don't want you to think I've just pulled some random Old Testament verse out. We could go to the New Testament, see the same thing in the words of Christ. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce and, and intimacy in marriage. And he says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. And so he's talking about a marriage a marital union, but he's also talking about a sexual union. The two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, the words of Christ, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so he's talking about a whole set of issues. Uh, and one of those is, uh, is marriage and divorce. But one of the issues he's talking about clearly is this sexual intimacy. And he says that when two people come together in marriage, that God has put them together in one flesh. And that if we pull that one flesh apart, then we have sinned against what God has done. Do not pull apart what God has put together. So the first reason why adultery is such a big deal is, is simply because it's a sin against the Lord. When I, when I do weddings uh, from time to time, like every pastor I do weddings, I've got one here in, in just a few weeks uh, doing a wedding, a really uh, nice young couple that I've met and looking forward to that. Uh, but one of the things as I go through the pre-marriage counseling that couples often ask for today, it's, and I guess it's something that couples have asked for for a long time. And so if you did this in your wedding, I'm not criticizing what you did, but, but let me tell you what people ask for and what my reply is. Today, people want often to write their own vows. And, and I understand they want to have a personalized wedding ceremony and they wanna you know, share their I love yous and I promise you. Uh, but I said, no, you, you cannot write your own vows. Now, if you would like to write some promises to one another, then that's great. And you can share them in the ceremony. We'll give you a microphone. We'll feature that. I mean, that'll be a wonderful thing. If you'd like to do that, I am all for it. But they will not be the vows. 
Do you know why? Because when, when you make a vow in a wedding ceremony, you're not making a commitment to another person. You're making a commitment to God. So your marriage vows are not to people. Your marriage vows are to God, to God. That's why adultery is first a sin against God. You know, if it were just a sin against people, it would be easy to justify. You could say, well, um, you know, my husband has been this, or my husband has done that, or, or, or they, she didn't keep her promise, and, and she said this but did something else. And you might come up with a whole long reason, list of reasons why you think you're justified in adultery. But listen, no, because adultery is not first against your spouse. It is first against the Lord. And you can't come up with a list to justify uh, sins, sins, of course, against the Lord. So that's the first reason why it's a serious thing. Secondly, it's serious because marriage is a picture of God's relationship with us. Now, if I had a lot more time this morning, I would love to walk through scripture and show you over and over these beautiful pictures of, of our relationship with God as it is seen in the relationship between a husband and wife. The Bible talks about this uh, on, a, on a number of occasions. Uh, so I don't have time to go through all of those scripture passages. So, so let me just give you three ways that the Bible says that the relationship we have with God is pictured in a marriage relationship. One way is in oneness. So when I married Donna, we became one flesh. There's just one. I mean, there are two people in a sense, but in another sense, there's just one of us in our marriage. It's just, we, we, we two have become one. Well, when I came to know Christ, I mean, this is a wonderful truth. I, I am now in Christ and Christ is in me. The, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within me. And the Bible says that I am in Christ. When God sees me, he sees the sacrifice of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the holiness and the purity of Christ. I, I am united, the Bible says, with Christ. And so a marriage relationship points to this greater truth, this union we have with Christ. Another way is exclusivity. And so when I, when I married Donna... And this will sound crass, but you know what I mean. When I, when I married Donna, I said she was my woman and I just have one. It's not that I had one more woman in my life. It's not even that she's the first of five women, you know, that, that, that she, she, you know, I've got several women in my life, but she's the, she's the first one. No, she expected that when I married her, I would say you, you are my only woman. And I expect her to say, I am your only man. Same thing with Christ. When we follow Christ, we're saying we have one Lord. Not that, not that Christ is just uh, a little ahead of priority number two in our lives, but that we are exclusively committed to Christ. Another way that, uh, that marriage points to this, uh, this, this union we have with Christ is unconditional love. Uh, so when you marry somebody, uh, when you're in a marriage relationship, uh, the pressure is off. Now, you still need to be kind and, and romantic men. I mean, there's still things we need to do, and, and we need to woo our wives, uh, as, as, uh, as you understand. But you know, in a sense, the pressure is off. My wife loves me on my good days and my bad days. 
I don't go home every day hoping that she's going to stick with me another week. No, we have, we have made a commitment. She's going to stick with me at least another week, okay? <laughs> and, and so there is this unconditional love that you have in a marriage relationship that, frankly, you don't really have in any other kind of relationship. And that is a picture of the unconditional love we have with the Father. You know, God loves me on my good weeks and my bad weeks. And there is no chance that God's going to abandon me this next week because of a poor choice that I might make. There is unconditional love. And so one of the reasons why uh, this uh, adultery, this prohibition against adultery is so important, one of the reasons why God is safeguarding marriage is because marriage is a picture of our relationship with, with the Lord. A third thing is that marriage is the centerpiece of God's plan to bless his children. And I know everybody is not married. God has called some people to singleness. And if he has called you to be single, then you should embrace that and celebrate that. Some people have lost their spouse for one reason or another. And, um, and, and God will, will, will show you his love and his kindness in a special way. But for those who are married, listen, marriage is God's primary tool to show us how to experience love and forgiveness it's, it's God's primary tool for raising children and teaching them the things of God. It's God's primary tool for encouragement and strength and accountability. Uh, listen, men, most of us need to get married because if we didn't have a wife controlling things, who knows what kind of mess we would be in. We, we have been given a marriage because that is one of God's tools for our sanctification, for our sanctification. Next, Adultery, this prohibition is so important because God's primary purpose is not to forbid something negative, but to protect something positive. And we generally think of rules as things that, that limit us, that hurt us. I can't do this or do that because there's a rule against it. But no, listen, that's not how God's rules work. God's rules have been given to us to protect something, not to take something away from us, but to give us something. Uh, I know a lot of you have, over the last couple of weeks, put a fire in your fireplace. Raise your hand if you've had a fire in the last couple of weeks. Uh, people in Texas think it's been cold here these last couple of weeks. And so uh, everybody's, everybody's, and you enjoy the fire, right? Uh, you, you enjoy the warmth and it's pretty and uh, so you, you have this fire and it's a blessing, but it is a blessing because of what? It is in the fireplace. If you just got some, uh, s some logs together and started a fire in the middle of your living room, it wouldn't be a blessing. It would be a curse, right? The fire is only a blessing because it's in the fireplace. Intimacy is a blessing. Uh, Proverbs 5.18 says, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. And if you're not sure what that means, look it up and read the next few verses and it'll tell you exactly what it means. It's talking about intimacy. And it says that it is a blessing as long as it's in the fireplace. And the fireplace for intimacy is marriage. And you get that intimacy out of the fireplace and now all of a sudden it's not a blessing, it is a curse. And so this is an important command because God is not trying to limit us, but because God is trying to protect something for us. And so Jesus takes this command and he comments on it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he comments on this command 
And I'd just like to read to you what he said about the command. That's pretty important, right? So Matthew chapter five, and I think I can show this to you on the screen. Yes. Matthew 5, 27 and 28, where we'll read all the way down through verse 30, says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So don't commit adultery, but he expands that. And he says, even if you lust in your heart, uh, even if it's an imagination, it's still sin. Verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. That's pretty serious, isn't it? For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So let's now take what we've learned about why this command is so important in Exodus chapter 20. And let's take what Jesus has said as he sort of gives a a modern application to the command. And let's see if we can learn three or four very simple truths, practical truths to help us honor God in this area of our lives. So number one, uh, we learn this, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Uh, We have grown up being told, follow our hearts. Uh, From Ariel the Mermaid, to Miley Cyrus, to Oprah Winfrey, uh, to Peter Pan, is it Peter Pan? Um, No, Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. I had to consult with my kids this morning. (laughs) We have been told to follow our hearts. The Bible, listen church, the Bible never says follow your heart. In fact, it says the opposite. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? It says, don't follow your heart. Your heart will take you to wicked places. So instead of following our hearts, we need to follow the rules. Now that's something we need to teach our kids, right? We ought to teach them by our example. Don't follow your heart, follow the rules. And so if you go back to what Jesus said, that very first verse, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. He says, follow the rules. Now, why do we need to follow the rules? We've already said this, but I wanna make sure you understand. So the first reason we ought to just follow the rules instead of following our heart is because the rules protect us. We have have been created to function, to live in a certain environment. Uh, One of the the reasons why I love traveling around the country and and at times around the world is I like to see what trees look like in different places. There's some trees that, you know, are right here in Pine Tree Central Nacogdoches uh, that you will not find in Ohio where I moved from uh, because those trees were really designed for this climate and not that climate and vice versa. We had Christmas trees growing in our backyard in Ohio. Uh, We don't have Christmas trees growing in our backyard here. We have banana trees. And so different plants have been created to survive in different environments. And so when, when we see the environmental limitations on us, we shouldn't see those as limiting. We should see those as life giving. If you take the banana trees in my backyard here and you plant them in my old backyard in Ohio, they would die. You you take, for instance, a fish. 
Uh, and I know I'm skipping illustrations here, mixing metaphors, but a fish swims in the water. You know that? Well, what if the fish gets tired of swimming in the water? What if the fish says, I don't like this crazy rule that says I've got to be in the water. I want to, I want to waddle down the street. And so the fish gets out of the water and starts to waddle down the street. What'll happen? It'll die. Now, the fish may have felt like the rule, fish stay in water. That's one of the Ten Commandments for fish. The fish may have thought that that was limiting, but was it limiting? No, it was life-giving because that rule is key for the fish's survival, if I'm using proper grammar there. And so when we have these rules that God has given to us, they are not limiting, they are life-giving. But not only do the rules protect us, they protect God's blessings. God has given us, and I want to be careful how I say this because I know we have people here of all different ages, but God has given us intimacy as one of the most wonderful, amazing gifts that he he has given. But if we don't follow the rules, we will ruin the gift. Does that make sense without being more, more specific? Uh, imagine this. Imagine that uh, you know, it's getting cooler here in Texas. And so uh, I know a lot of people like to make Texas chili. And so you make a big pot of chili and you've got uh, beans. Do you have beans here in Mexican, in Texas chili? Some of you? No, you don't? Okay, well, so you leave out the beans, but you've got uh, whatever you put in Texas chili. So at least there are tomatoes, I, I assume, and some, some beef or some deer, some venison. But, so you, but you've got your chili, and it's, it, it smells good. It's just about ready to eat. And then somebody comes along with a, a one-cup measuring cup, and it's filled with, with BBs. You know, like you're shooting a BB gun, and they just pour it all in the chili. Now, what have they just done? They've ruined the chili, right? You want a bowl of that chili? No. Now, when we break the rules for intimacy, we take something that God meant to be our blessing and we ruin it. Now, there's hope. Can God help you overcome Uh, Can you be forgiven and can you overcome sexual sin? Absolutely. You can be restored. You can be made whole. Your marriage can be beautiful and wonderful. But listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like pulling those BBs out of that pot of chili. It's going to be just that hard. And I've walked with couples through this and I've seen amazing things happen, but it's not easy. If, if, if we poison this gift that God has given to us, it is going to be very hard to ever have the beauty of that gift restored to us again. And so why should we follow rules instead of our heart? Well, rules protect us and they protect the blessings that God has given us. Now, the second thing, very quickly, uh, not only should we not follow our heart, we should also not follow our eyes, our eyes. And so verse 28 that we read a moment ago, Jesus said, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now let's just be real honest about this for a moment. That's verse that nobody likes. It almost doesn't even seem fair and it doesn't seem right. I can understand God saying, do not commit adultery, you know, physical adultery, But now Jesus is saying that means even if you think it through, 
and you never act on it, even if it's just right here in your head and it never goes any further than that, it is still a sin. It is still adultery, he says. Now, why would he say that? Why does it matter as long as it's just in our heads? Why is it such a big deal? Why does Jesus, I mean, he's making a pretty, pretty big issue out of this. Why is it wrong just if it's in our head and our hearts? Well, let me, let me tell you three, three reasons. One of these you would have guessed, I imagine. Uh, two of them might be, be new to you. But, but listen, there are, there are at least three reasons why it is such a big deal, even if it's just in our head and our hearts. Number one, it's a big deal because we worship, the worship of God is seated in our minds. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When I worship, when this great choir was leading us in worship a moment ago, when, when you stood for worship, what did you use to worship the Lord? Well, you used your voice, your vocal cords, your lungs, your, your, your lips, your tongue, you made sounds. And so we worship with those things. You know, sometimes people worship with their hands. Is that an appropriate way to worship with your arms and hands? Absolutely. That's a biblical way of worship. Sometimes we worship with a bended knee. Sometimes we worship by clapping. There are a lot of ways to worship, but all of those things, listen, are just expressions of what is in your head and in your heart. You don't really worship with your hands or your lips. If you lost your voice and you were paralyzed, could you still worship God? Yes. I mean, it's good to use your voice. Absolutely, we're commanded to use our voice. We, we, the Bible says, lift up your hands in praise. All of those are good things, but all of those are simply an expression of what's, what's really happening in your heart and in your mind. The seat of worship is your heart and your, and your head. And so if you take that same heart and head and you use it for adultery, do you see the problem? The, the real instrument that God has given you for worship, your heart and your mind, you're now using that for sin. And it doesn't matter if you ever act out on that sin or not. You have used your heart and mind that have been created for the worship of God, and you have used it for adultery. That's why Jesus says, even if it's in your heart, it's adultery. I'll tell you another reason why he says that is because the primary love we have for our spouse is in our heart and our mind. So if you're going to love your spouse, if I'm going to love my spouse, how do I do that? Well, I, I love her by, you know, saying things to her and I, I love her by providing things. I, I love her uh, by, by serving her, by, by hugging her, by kissing her. I mean, I, I love her with, you know, with the physical part of who I am. But, but you know that just like worship, that's just an expression of what? Of my heart and my mind. I don't really worship her with my, with my arms. I don't really worship, I'm really worship, worship is not the word. I don't, I don't love her with my arms. I love her with my heart and my mind. Again, if I were paralyzed and couldn't speak, could I still love my wife? Sure, because love is really seated in the heart and the mind. And so then, 
to take that heart and mind that is dedicated to my wife, that is in love with my wife, and then use that over here for adultery, even if it's never acted out in the members of my body, do you see that that is a betrayal? It's a betrayal of God and it's a betrayal of my wife. And we make this distinction between whether it's just in here or it comes out. And, and Jesus says that's really a false distinction because we say we love our wives or we love our husbands with our hearts. So we admit that love is really just a heart and a mind thing. And so Jesus said, taking that same concept, then to be uh, unfaithful, really it's just a heart and a mind thing. I'll tell you the third reason why Jesus says this, and this is the one that uh, you, you probably would have thought of first. Uh, the mind is the launching place for sin. Uh, the truth is you can't limit sin just to your heart, that eventually sin will come out. Sin will launch from your heart to your hands and your feet. James chapter one, verses 14 and 15 says, each person when he is tempted, when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, so you've got this sin in your heart, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So sin grows, and you think, well, it's just in my heart. Well, it's just in your heart today, but it's going to, it's going to launch from your heart to your mind. Uh, Jesus Christ warns us uh, about what we look at because our eyes are often the window uh, that allows temptation to come into our lives. Well, number three, the third practical lesson we learned from this is this. Don't be casual with sexual sin. Now, Jesus says, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. And if your right arm, your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Now, he's not saying gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand. Uh, we know that from what we read in the rest of Scripture. And by the way, that wouldn't solve it. Uh, people through history have done this, by the way. They've thought, well, I'm going to stop sinning by gouging out my eyes and cutting off my hands. And it didn't work, okay? What Jesus is saying is, is, is not poke a needle in your eye. Jesus is Jesus is saying we need to take this seriously. We can't be casual about this. We need to be very serious about this. Uh, I read a story recently that uh, I believe to be a true story. I, I don't know for certain. Uh, but it was about a scrap metal dealer in Arizona, southern Arizona. And this man had a big flatbed truck and he would go around and collect scrap metal. He would take it down south of the border and, and sell it uh, where they would... Uh, uh, do, do whatever they did with it there as they would uh, uh, scrap it and, and uh, recycle it. And so he, he had found just uh, some old industrial equipment. He didn't even know what it all was uh, somewhere, and, but he, he bought it and put it on the back of his truck, big truck, and he took it down south of the border. Well, while he was going down, some of this industrial equipment uh, broke open. You know, it, just, it was rugged roads and it got shook up pretty well. And and when some of this industrial equipment broke open, there were all of these, like a couple of hundred, two or three hundred, tiny little shiny marbles, metal marbles that came out of one of the machines. And they were about the size of a marble, maybe, maybe the size of a shooting marble, if you know what that is. And so they were, they were these shiny marbles, and they were unusually heavy. 
but not like the glass marbles that people are used to. And so he, he gets down to Mexico and they unload the stuff, but they, they don't bother with all of these marbles now that have just all over the bed of this old flatbed truck. And so the kids find them, a bunch of kids. And, and this was like the best toy they ever had. They were shiny and, and they were pretty. And so they played with the marbles and they would trade the marbles and they would rub on them. And, they, and, and so something began to happen. These kids began uh, to get sick. They started with an unexplained rash and then it turned to fatigue and hair loss. And then the children were, were vomiting and couldn't stop. And in the beginning, nobody knew what the problem was, but they finally traced it back to the marbles. What had happened is there was an old-fashioned, or two or three, old-fashioned dental x-ray machines uh, on the back of that truck. And uh, those marbles uh, were radioactive marbles used to, uh, to power those machines or to uh, uh, make those machines work like they needed to work. And, and those kids were were playing with those and they got radiation sickness from that. Now, here, here's the lesson. Uh, there are just some things in life that seem harmless, that seem fun and exciting and neat. You know, use the adjective you, wants to, you want to use. And if we're not careful, we won't see the danger until it's too late. What Jesus is saying when he says, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm is hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. He's saying, you don't need to be fooled by the world and take this casually. We need to be serious about this, about sexual sin. We need to be serious because it might seem harmless to us, but it'll always uh, curse us in the end. Just three quick things because I know you, you won't want to leave without your blanks filled in. Uh, I, I'm out of time, but I want to give you these three blanks. Uh, how do we how do we embrace a more serious approach to sexual sin? First, we should create some separation from temptation. You need to determine what it is that, that brings temptation in your life most quickly. Maybe it's stuff you watch on television. Maybe it's having an unmonitored computer. Maybe it's having a cell phone that has uh, unmonitored access to uh, things that you don't need unmonitored access to. You need to find out what your greatest sources of temptation are, and you need to remove yourself from that. And, and no matter how radical that might be, it's not nearly as bad as gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand. Let's quit making excuses. Let's separate ourselves from our greatest points of temptation. Uh, secondly, we need to embrace accountability. The Bible says in James chapter five, that when we sin, we ought to confess it to somebody. We ought to confess it first to the Lord, of course, because he's the source of forgiveness. But we need to tell somebody else, hey, I'm struggling with this, and we need to ask them to pray and hold us accountable. And then let her see there, we need to know and be reminded that we are in Christ. We get involved in sexual sin, and the shame just keeps us down. But if you are a child of God, listen, you have been forgiven of all your sin. There is no shame. And when the father looks at you, he doesn't see your sexual sin. He doesn't see how many times you failed. He doesn't see all the stuff you've done. What he sees, if you're a child of God, is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers that. Let's, let's celebrate the fact that we are in Christ. Go read Colossians chapter 3 and in be encouraged in that and say, I, Christ accepts me and loves me. 
And I'm going to live like that worthy child that's been forgiven. So what should you do if you've fallen short in this area? Well, number one, if you're not in Christ, if there's never been a time in your life when you've put your faith and trust in Christ and said, I surrender to Christ, I surrender to the Lord, and, and I believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive my sins, then it's got to begin there. Let God wash you new and make you white as snow, and he'll do that today if you'll call on him. If you are a follower of Christ, what should you do? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. As Jesus talked to the woman who was caught in adultery, uh, he asked her who was there to condemn her, and she said in John 8, 11, no one, Lord. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin. We need to seek forgiveness, and then we need to live like who we are in Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed, let me pray. Father, thank you for the gift of intimacy that you have given to all of those who, um, who are not called to singleness. And we thank you for that precious gift. Let us know how to protect it. Let us know how to, how to enjoy it for your glory and honor. And Father, where we have failed, remind us that we are in you and we are forgiven. Do not let shame keep us down, but let us celebrate our salvation by getting up, seeking forgiveness, and moving forward. Father, we sang as we began this morning a song that, that repeatedly said, the cross was enough. The cross is enough. Remind us today that even in the face of sexual sin, the cross is enough. And may we embrace that today for your forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.